Hey everybody, welcome to Truth Be Told. This is Mike Gunn. I appreciate you guys listening. It's really been quite a while since I've recorded anything new. Um, I had a string of speaking in church for a while and I used some of those messages to kind of fill out the timeline, but even then I've not been as consistent as I typically like. And so I do apologize for that, but I will say even though I've not been as consistent, the listenership has been incredible. I mean, I don't think I've had a single day where nobody was listening to Truth Be Told. And that really is awesome. I mean, I just, I cannot imagine that every day there's one person in the world at least that wants to hear anything I have to say. So that is just really, really cool. And it's it's not one person every day. Oftentimes it's a lot more than that. And uh, I just feel very blessed about that. So I apologize for my uh, lack, but you guys have really, really stepped up and just continue to find this content beneficial. So uh, I'm really grateful for that and grateful to God for the opportunity. So uh, yeah, just thank you for listening. It, it is humbling and uh, means a lot. So today we're going to be talking about uh, something that I was approached a while back about uh, speaking on. And I was approached by a few people, a few friends of mine who had taken a Bible class. And the professor in the class had gotten into a discussion on angels, which is obviously always an interesting topic. Um, It's one that we're given just a certain level of information about that it always seems to pique our interest without giving us a whole lot to go off of. Um, If you think of the types of beings in the universe, you have God who's a type of being and he desires to be understood, but he is so transcendent that sometimes we do have a hard time understanding him. But even so, we still have quite a bit of information about him because he wants to be understood so much. And this whole biblical story seems to be about the relationship between God and man um, and getting back into right relationship with him. We have a lot of his expectations spelled out, a lot of who he is and what his character is like spelled out. And uh, so we still have a lot of information about God, even though he is so transcendent. We also have animals, which we understand a good amount. Uh, about just because we're around them all the time. And I mean, there's whole fields of science that study just certain animals or certain species or uh, subspecies or broader classifications of animals. And so we have a lot of information because we live here on this earth with animals. And so that's a type of being that we could potentially look into. But the information just from observation is so vast that we do even though there's some mystery still in the animal kingdom, we do have a good idea of what the deal is with animals. Then, of course, you have humankind. And uh, this is kind of a tricky one because we do understand a lot about humanity, being humans ourselves. Um, Obviously, there's some mystery in individual humans and everything, but we understand probably the most about uh, the human world because that is what we are. So, We have that information uh, kind of intuitively a part of us. And also there's studies done on humans all the time, whether it's psychology or anthropology or sociology. And so we've got a good source of information on humanity. But he also made the angelic realm, which I fully believe has an incredible amount of diversity to it. Um, Probably more so than humanity, but I think probably even closer in league with the diversity found in the animal kingdom. When you see all the various names and types and descriptions of every spiritual creature that God made, um, there's this incredible diversity. And yet, when you really weigh all the information that we have about each of these types of beings, the angelic or spiritual realm is something we just know very, very little about. All these these lesser spiritual beings, we just don't have a lot of information. Uh, we know some of the parts of their roles, and often then we think we understand the whole of their positions because of that. And uh, we know how some humans have perceived them, at least visually, which makes us often think that we understand what they look like. And then we know what some of them have said when they spoke to people, which often can make us think that we know their thoughts. Um, But there's not a lot said about their nature. And really, even with all the information we do have, it is so incomplete. And so I think we're often in danger of thinking we know uh, concretely so much about them when really it might just be a part of, of who they are. Um, I want to take a look at all three of these aspects of things we think we know, like roles, visual appearances, and then speech or thoughts, and just show that um, even though this is good information and it doesn't tell us nothing about these these creatures, these beings, 
um, we still have a lot to learn at some point in time. And so drawing hard and fast conclusions um, about the spiritual realm might be uh, it might be operating under only partial information. And we, we don't want to do that. We would like to operate with more complete information. But since we don't have that, it's probably safer not to draw concrete conclusions. You know, we often we do that in hermeneutics, which um, is kind of a danger where we don't always do exegesis. We do eisegesis where we try and hypothesize and read into something and try and infer what that means based on our understanding. And that's, I don't even really think that's always a horrible thing. There are sometimes holes in the Bible that are left open. And I think God kind of wants us to be curious and to explore those things and try and fit pieces together and see what makes the most sense and use our God-given ability to reason and think through things. Um, But again, those things have to be flexible. We cannot elevate our hypothesis or um, our, our reasoning to the level of, like the concrete evidence that we find in the Bible in other areas or in other places. So when dealing with the angelic realm then, or the spiritual realm, we need to just be careful on what we're saying that is like tried and true biblical fact versus what is our assumption or our interpretation. Because those assumptions and interpretations could often be based off of incomplete information. And so um, I'm just, I'm very wary of boxing in anything spiritual, not because I celebrate not knowing or uh, celebrate doubt in any way. I like to know. It's just, I want to be honest about what we actually do know. So to illustrate my point here, like I said, I want to go through these three things. Um, First off, let's start with roles. And we could take just one angelic being we know about, Michael the archangel. So first of all, he is the only angel in the Bible called archangel or chief angel or chief messenger. So he's a chief messenger. He is said to guard and defend Israel. So we have messenger and guard uh, as roles of Michael. He also goes on the offensive uh, at the time when he assisted Gabriel in warring against the prince of Persia in the book of Daniel. And he's labeled a prince himself, which that brings up a whole range of connotations. And uh, we also know that he leads a group of angels, at least in spiritual warfare, if not in other things as well. And we see him in the book of Jude debating with the devil. So he's kind of arguing and reasoning over the body of Moses in the book of Jude. So perhaps he has some diplomatic responsibilities as well. And these descriptors of just this one angel often inform our view of angelic roles as a whole. You know, if I were to say, well, what do angels do? Someone would say, well, they protect, they guard, they defend, they're war machines, they're messengers. And all of this is straight from the description on one angel. Not that you don't have it seen about others as well, um, but very specifically you see it said about Michael. But we forget sometimes they're also beautiful and they sing and they they worship God and they interact with humans and find an interest in our world, like an intellectual interest. And so there's a complexity here that transcends the information we have. So let's not feel as if we've got all of this information, which gives us a perfect view of the angelic realm or or angelic roles. And we can think about this like um, if, if we were understood by our jobs alone, and often we are, especially in the Western world, it feels like all we have to talk about are, well, how's work, how's school? And it's not that those things are irrelevant or bad to talk about, but really they they give such a poor picture on who we are as people, but we really do think we kind of know a person if we know what they do um, for an occupation or for like eight hours a day. And I fully believe that we are so much more than just uh, our jobs. Or what if we were defined by certain roles we fill in certain people's lives? Like me to my dad is different than me to my friend. And so who am I? Well, I'm both of those interactions. I am both of those people. And it's not to say I'm a different person with each, but different parts of me come out in my interactions with both. And so when we look at angels and say, okay, we understand them because we know some jobs that they've done, or we know um, things about them or or ways in which they've interacted with mankind, uh, I think it's just incomplete. And so it's an important part of it. It's definitely a facet that can inform us but to draw hard and fast conclusions on it uh, can sometimes be dangerous, just like it could be for people. Um, if you were to meet a garbage man, you wouldn't say, well, like, I bet he's a garbage man all the time, like just constantly at his house, taking out the trash and 
bringing it in and just loves trash, just surrounds himself with trash all the time. It's like, no, that's probably a normal, kind human being that just does this job eight hours a day, gets paid, goes home, has a family. And there's so there's so much depth to a person beyond just what they do as a job. And so I think the same is probably true for angels in the capacities that we see them. So then we, we move on to the visual. Um, often uh, the angelic beings, and I'm, by the way, I'm using the word angels here. Uh, I think it's an incomplete word, angel or angelus or, you know, in in the Greek, it just means messenger. Often it's Elohim and in the Hebrew, and this just means a a spiritual being. Often it can refer to God himself. It can refer to the angelic world, or it can even refer to uh, people on on very small occasions. So uh, if they're like judges or or something high and elevated, then yeah, so so these words are... um, kind of incomplete and, and this this angelus word is literally just messenger and um a- angels are you know a person could be an angel a person could be a messenger of god and so uh, we want to be careful that we're not just kind of painting with too broad a brush because there is a host of spiritual beings described with various names in in the hebrew uh original language so yeah, I think angel is is incomplete, but I think that most people know what I'm talking about when I say that word, and so I might kind of switch in between spirit beings and and angels throughout this podcast. But I want you to know that when I'm saying either, what I mean is the host of heaven, the lesser beings, uh, the lesser spiritual beings that God created that are um, other than mankind, um, but are other than God as well. And this can also include. Uh, the demonic realm, who are these same types of beings, uh, just obviously with different motives and, and character. So yeah, it's an incomplete word, I think, but it's one that I think most people are comfortable with. And so I'll probably alternate, but just know that that's the, the group of beings that I'm talking about. So anyways, back to the visual. Um, these beings can often appear as human beings, or ethereal superhuman creatures and you have both instances in the bible Uh, sometimes they have animalistic features and then there are even questions about certain situations like in the case of elisha there were hosts of angels surrounding the enemy's armies and these angels had horses and they had chariots so were they riding real physical horses like did they just get some physical horses from somewhere and then mount them with chariots and then ride those? Or are these horses another type of spiritual being? Um, Some say that there are angelic horses, and that is a type of spiritual being we have to account for. Or maybe it's just a vision. Uh, Who knows? Again, there is a complexity here that really just transcends the information we have. And particularly when you get into this idea of physical manifestations of spiritual things, it can be really, really difficult to box that spiritual being in. Um, is this what the spiritual being looks like all the time? Is the description limiting because of the person's worldview who saw them? Um, this is often said about the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The word there doesn't necessarily mean serpent. It can mean shining one. And um, might you know often he's described as a dragon like in Revelation. So um, serpent might be incomplete, but it might be what the biblical authors had to add as a connotation based on what they saw, but it it might not look like just a regular snake that we would see. And so uh, this is a question we might ask, or does the manifestation of this spiritual entity give us any actual insight into what this spirit being looks like in actuality? Um, You know, if it can appear as anything, then how do we really know what it looks like on a normal day? Um, and these are just questions we might have based on visual appearances. And then we could ask, can we even discuss what something spiritual looks like when the only way we understand vision really is through physical means? Uh, I think this is a valid question. I mean, what do they look like? Well, what does spirit look like? I mean, well, without physical eyes, I'm not really sure uh, if something would look like something. You know, I do believe that God gave us senses for a reason and they are um, akin to something we would have as spiritual beings. Like I'm not saying we're just so foreign that sight means nothing in the spiritual world, but I know it doesn't mean exactly what we think it means in the physical world. So um, comparing 
spiritual sight and visual sight. Like, I don't even think we can really have that discussion terribly coherently, even though, like I said, God does want to be understood. He wants us to understand the things of him. We have God's spirit, ideally, that that works with us and communicates the things of God to the spirit of man, which is in us. And I think like to say we don't understand anything about the spiritual world is short-sighted, but also to box it in is really what I'm trying to get to here is, is a mistake because we are limited at the same time. So we just have to be, just have to be careful and it is a balancing game. Um, but those are some questions we might have when considering uh, the visual or uh, appearances that, that the angelic world have had in between mankind and themselves. So then we move on to thoughts. And I think here is where we are probably the most limited, even though we think it's where we know the most. Um, because knowing the thoughts of spirit beings, I mean, think about this. This is a hard thing. Knowing the thoughts of physical beings is hard enough. I mean, fortunately, we, we've been given communication and it is so fascinating, but really, we just kind of walk around trusting that we know what someone is thinking when they communicate something to us. Um, we hope we've made that connection and that our communication accurately kind of conjured up the same thoughts in another person, but we really don't always know this. And I, I think the same can be said for spirit beings who have uh, much less recorded speech in the Bible. I mean, imagine... Uh, me talking to my dog. If I tell my dog, like, hey, do you want to go outside? My dog recognizes that pattern of speech, knows kind of what I'm saying, and knows the outcome that that means for her. But it doesn't mean the same thought is like translated into my dog's mind, right? We're, we're different beings. We're at different levels of, of intellect and knowing, different levels of communication. And I'm not saying this is an exact uh, analogy, like it doesn't work one for one ratio. But I do think it is um, kind of telling. Like even between humans, if I say to someone like, oh, I'm going to the store, the store that might pop up into their head is a different one that might pop in, up into mine or what they get from the store is different or you know, all these different things or the way they might take. All these thoughts are conjured up based on a person's experience and we're trying to communicate these things and we just kind of trust that we at least have the general idea. But some of the specifics are often lacking. And so with the spiritual world, I think the same is true. Um, when we have communication between us and angel the angelic world, and, and by us, I don't mean go and try and communicate with you know, spirit beings. What I mean is they have come to communicate with mankind at some point in time, and, and we have record of that. So it's not that that can tell us nothing, but we need to be careful thinking we know the thoughts then of the spiritual world based on the speech we have recorded. And on top of all of this, most of what we read uh, of spiritual beings coming and talking to mankind, at least benevolent spiritual beings, are when they come in the role of messengers. So it really isn't even their individual message being communicated. Uh, it's often God's. And so I, I suspect this is often a big factor why people find the demonic spiritual entities to be so much more curious and so much more singular because they aren't speaking on behalf of God. There seems to be a little bit more um, freedom, I guess is the word. That sounds like it has very positive connotations, but there's a bit more freedom and, and chaos in their speech. Um, not, not that they aren't organized. I do think that they have a hierarchy, they have plan, and that's what makes them so dangerous. But uh, ultimately, they answer to lesser beings than God, and they don't submit their will to him. So... They act according to their own will uh, more often. And so we get interesting glimpses into them as individuals uh, a bit more often than we do benevolent spiritual beings who are often seen working as agents of God's family or, or a larger body. Um, they're acting as ambassadors and representatives, not always as individuals. And so I think that's important to remember, but it is what makes the demonic spiritual world so interesting because they're kind of acting... Um, a little bit more individualistically. Okay, so all those things we need to keep in mind in any discussion about angels, I think, because we want to kind of strip away our bias and the the holes that we filled in and really just take a look at what do we actually know? What is recorded 
um, rather than what we've kind of inferred based on what's recorded. Again, not that the inference or the speculation isn't important or valid in any way, it just doesn't hold as much weight. And so we can't draw concrete conclusions based on those things. So with that, uh, with knowing how little we know, I want to go back to the purpose I'm recording this, which again goes back to the discussion about angels that was held in a Bible class taken by a few friends of mine. And something uh, that was mentioned in the class is that you don't find women angels in the Bible. And this led to further discussion on how angels and mankind interact with one another. And something was stated about how God works. And now, I don't have any direct quotes, unfortunately, but the impression that the students came away with is that God wouldn't work through women angels if there even are women angels at all. And so this is kind of where the discussion went uh, in this class. And to be clear, I'm not trying to, this is not like a refutation of those statements. This is not um, me trying to like one-up their teacher in this class by any means. It's more just me realizing that the students in this class, after coming away with this impression, um, were curious about my thoughts um, or what the Bible does have to say about women angels or uh, women in the spiritual world at all. So I wanted to do this study to just kind of like flesh out the topic, not to refute a statement because like I said, I don't have any concrete statement or uh, direct quote. It's more just to address concerns uh, that people had and to go into an interesting topic that I think is really cool. As I studied, if you just type in, are there women angels? Like there are hundreds and hundreds of people that have written about this topic and it is it is interesting. Um, I think there's a general consensus. Uh, I thought all of the articles I read were rational, logical. Um, so you can find a lot of good information on this, but I just want to be clear that I'm not like trying to refute or rebuttal anything that happened in that class. More so, it's just that class is what kind of gave rise to the interest in this topic. And I thought, all right, let's let's study, weigh in, and, and uh, figure out what we can here. And it is interesting, though, that things always seem to end up finding their way to hot topics. You know, I don't think uh, anything in this discussion with the teacher and the students was meant to be offensive, uh, but it, it did leave a bad taste for some of the students. And so um, this is why I'm addressing it. I think the questions that came up in their mind are, are things like, well, God wouldn't use women angels or, or worse, he didn't even find them necessary to make in the first place. What does this then say about how he might view human men and women? Um, does it elevate men over women? And I, I think a lot of people, especially in this post-enlightenment world, feel that they have to be on the defense for God. Um, they've got to justify decisions or ways in which he tried to work because he is so often attacked, either his legitimacy in even existing or, if not that, in how he measures up to current standards of morality. So let's start with the basis of not doing this. Um, God does not need to fit our version of what we believe to be right and wrong. He is the objective moral standard. If he has done something, it is good, and it is for us to reconcile that, which I'm not saying that's not a difficult thing, um, but it is the position we need to take first and foremost. So if we take a look, and it's true that God never made women angels, it's very clear that that's true, and that he would never dream of working through them if he had to, then he's right. Like he, he has judged rightly. Um, even if we can't understand that, even if that clashes with our current sense of morality, that is the right thing. And so whatever we find, whatever the evidence bears out is the right thing. If it is truly the thing that God has done. So before we, we kind of almost work backwards by being defensive about a conclusion and then trying to work backwards, uh, and just like figure out why that might not be. Rather, let's figure out what God has done, and then then we try and figure out why he did it that way. And if we can't figure out why, we still have to trust that he did the right thing, rather than causing it to be offended at God. So that's the place we have to start from. Now, personally, I don't think the evidence points to the fact that God never made women angels, or wouldn't dream of working through them, or ever sending... Um, a spiritual being disguised as a woman. I, I don't think the evidence points to this. 
um, like the rest of our understanding about the spiritual world, I think we are painting in black and white something that has a myriad of depth and color. So we're going to take a look at a few places in the Bible that go uh, into this discussion on the gender of angels and try to get a clearer picture. But please remember, what we know is so limited, and that's that's really my only goal today, um, which I know is kind of frustrating. I'm not I'm not saying definitively one way or the other, though I'll share my opinion for what it's worth, but uh, I just, I'd really like us to not speak so lazily about something that holds so much complexity and to be honest about what we don't know and then to trust God in what we don't know, even if it's something or it leads us to conclusions that don't really sit well with our current sense of, of what things should be. So the first place I'm going to go Uh, to talk about angels is in Job 38, verse 7. Just a really short verse here. This is amidst uh, God questioning Job, asking like, well, where were you when I was laying the foundations of the earth? Where were you when uh, I told the seas how far they could go and no further? And he's questioning Job that in a way that kind of highlights his greatness. But he asks here in Job 38, verse 7, talking about the, the creation, where were you when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? So we do have sons here written very plainly in the Hebrew, it's benim or bene. And uh, interestingly, in the Greek Septuagint, you don't often have it saying sons of God. Instead, it says something like, the stars sang together with all my angels instead of sons of God. So um, I think that what we need to say, though, is that we cannot take this to be a definitive statement about the gender of angelic beings, Um, especially when we hear the word sons, um, because sonship tends to be kind of a catch-all. In Matthew 5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And nobody would look at this statement and say, well... Um, it means that women can't be peacemakers. Like that's just, it's not true. Everyone is called to be a peacemaker and and everyone desires to be a son or daughter of God. But saying sons of God is is kind of similar to how we say mankind, but understand it, it obviously includes both men and women. So um, you'll see this throughout the Bible where the masculine is used to represent the whole. Um, And you see this even in a family. I mean, the father is the head of the household and um, this is, this is okay. This is right. It doesn't, um, limit the women. It doesn't make them less. Um, but it is an organizational thing. And so often the men are representative and the same is used in language, um, and also in English. So English and Hebrew both have these same mentalities where mankind is used for both men and women, sons of God often used for both men and women. And in this statement here, the sons of God shouted for joy. I don't think that has to mean that all the angelic realm are male or masculine. Um, and if you did want to go that way, I mean, I think that's reading into it a lot. But then who are the morning stars? Is it saying the sons of God sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Like that seems kind of uh, repetitious. So if you really want to do some eisegesis. You could say, well, the morning stars are the females and the sons of God are the male angels. And I don't think either of those things are true. Um, but I'm just saying, you, first of all, you're reading poetry. And second of all, you're reading a word that is often used as a catch-all for um, both men and women. So I, I don't think we can use this to make a definitive, concrete statement about the gender of spiritual beings. Um, another place that people will go to is Zechariah 5. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 5 and then go through verse 9. And man, Zechariah to me is a hard book. I mean, there is, it's prophecy. There's so much prophecy in it. And it can just be, well, we'll get into that in a minute. I'll just, I'll read through first. And this is often used um, by the other side to say, see, there are definitively women angels. There, there are women angels, and we can see that clearly. So for the Job 38.7 was people that say, see, it's definitively um, all masculine and male angels. And then this verse or this passage is more to say definitively there are women angels. And I think, again, there's problems with both. So it says here in verse 5 of Zechariah 5, then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. 
So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So that's as far as we're going to read. Uh, Zechariah is a series of prophetic visions, and it's, like I said, it's so tough to bring out absolutes from, um, because we have to ask, well, what is metaphor and imagery and symbolism, and what is literal? And drawing those lines can just be so, so tough. So uh, we want to be very, very careful. Um, These women might not even be real beings. They might just be purely visions with no actual will or identity of their own. And I think this this brings up a really interesting point. Um, Technically, God used visions of these women to send a message. So the visions themselves are angels or messengers. So he uses women in the Bible to do his will, um, and these could also technically be labeled messengers. Um, so could we then just say, like, well, because even if these aren't, like, real uh, identifiable beings, that they are still women being used to send a message, and we could say there's women angels? We could say that, sure. Uh, I think that maybe isn't logically correct, or I know for a fact that it doesn't um, satisfy the answers we're looking for. Um, we're looking for something more real. And to us, vision is not real enough. I don't know why that is. Um, but it seems like because we're physical, we want something physical, which is so hard to find when you're dealing with the spiritual. Um, but yeah, human with angelic role, that's also not, not correct enough for us. So I understand that this isn't the answer we're looking for, but, um, we should remember throughout all of this that God does use women like he I mean that should be the basis we're starting with that we know that God loves both sexes uh, equally and he did not make one to be better than the other they're both made in the image of God I mean all of these things just need to come into our mind um, rather than trying to find a way in which God might be against women I I think that's like the bad place to start operating from Um, but I do recognize that just saying well these non-entity visions uh, are angels and they're women, that's good enough. I realize that's not as satisfactory, so that's not where we're going to just like stop the study. Um, But it is something to consider, especially if it reveals something about our motive, Um, like we're not satisfied with God clearly loving men and women equally or clearly giving them the same spiritual potential or, you know, we're not satisfied with any of that. Um, Obviously, it's not satisfactory for this discussion, but if we're just like on a witch hunt to find God out to be sexist, like I think that's the wrong operating place. And so um, maybe this is a place where we see these, these women in this vision. And if they are just visions, maybe that should be enough for us because God does clearly um, manifest them as women and they are used to send a message. And so it's clear that he would use women as messengers. Uh, It's just that, it's not satisfactory because we don't have a very clear statement of, well, this woman angel named Beth or Helen came and did this thing and spoke with this person. That'd be so easy. I mean, I would love if that were true because it would just like stop this discussion and this hot topic argument in its tracks. And that would be, that'd be great. But also you wouldn't have the discussion. It'd be less fun. So maybe I I don't wish for that. Actually. I don't know. Um, But yeah, we do have to ask, are these women actual entities, uh, individuals with their own will and identity. Uh, we have to ask that. I think that's, that's a good question to ask. Um, or are they just visions? Um, now perhaps these are visions of real beings. Um, maybe just like mental representations of actual individuals, but they do exist somewhere in the universe. Um, and if that's true, then the Bible is very clear that they are women. I mean, there's, there's no getting around that these beings are women. Um, however, and this is something I don't really have evidence for. Um, it's just an illustration I like to say to illustrate just like how difficult it can be to interpret prophecy sometimes. Um, but what if these were actual women, but they are human women? 
that did something in history and that just the idea of them having wings is metaphorical because I do think the idea of them having wings uh, and coming down is the the part that makes them seem angelic. If it just said like two women took a basket, it's like, well, those don't have to be angels necessarily. And we wouldn't really be having this discussion. But the wings and them coming down makes them seem spiritual or angelic. Um, but in prophecy, pieces could be metaphorical and pieces could be literal. And we don't always know where to draw that line. So if just the wings and just them coming down is the the metaphor part or the symbolism part. Um, I mean, God mounted up Israel on eagles' wings when they fled Egypt, but like that didn't actually happen. Israel is very much real. He did let them leave Egypt. He guided them out, but he didn't like put wings on them or make them fly on birds. And so sometimes just a piece can be symbolic or um, a piece of imagery. And so we don't really know about that either. Um, Again, I don't have any evidence for like two historical women who did a thing that... uh, kind of went point for point with this prophecy but it is the tricky part about prophecy and interpreting I guess what you'd call like interdimensional communication Um, our idea of what is real is so attached to the physical and the biological and our understanding of reality is housed solely in the empirical and the tangible and we don't have a lot of room for uh, the metaphorical and so we therefore don't understand it very often um how deep does the metaphor go is a good question but for us that would mean how real is it and i i don't think that is correct but it, it is how we think and we need to come to terms with that so maybe we should be satisfied with the idea that god clearly uses both men and women in the bible and in the modern world he clearly calls both to an equal spiritual potential he clearly desires both as part of his family and his work and he clearly is not, you know, averse to using them as um, vision messengers, um, whether they are real identity beings or not, or like beings with identity or not. But yeah, something inside of us uh, rarely wants to accept that. And so uh, that's the lesson we need to bring out. Personally, I, I do think that these are just uh, visions and not actual entities or beings, particularly when you have uh, the woman sitting in the basket and it says, this is wickedness. So it's like, well, is it a wicked woman? It's like, no, it seems to be very clearly saying this woman is a personification of wickedness. And so um, if that being is symbolic or symbolism, then the ones carrying the basket seem to be also the same thing. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vision. So again, this is that's my interpretation that these are visions and not true angelic beings that we can clearly point to as female. But... Uh, I don't know. Again, that's my opinion. It's not worth a whole lot, but that's what I think. Uh, so this this next section I want to go to, it's a third and final section I'd like to, to look at. There's obviously a lot of places where the angels or spiritual beings are interacting with mankind, but I think these three uh, give us some good insight and are often the three that people will go to to say one way or another if there are male or female or just male or male and female angels. Um, this next section is in Mark 12. Uh, This is probably one of the most common ones uh, that people go to when discussing gender of angels. And this is when uh, Jesus has a run-in with the Sadducees. It's such an interesting section. Um, We're going to read a good portion of it, starting in verse 18. It says this, Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring, and the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. So, uh, just to get some background, the Sadducees, I think most people know, but if, if you don't, um, this is a very conservative group of Jews that that believed, um, or not just believed, but really, really taught only from the first five books of the Bible. So, they were mainly concerned with Torah and the law. Uh, well, Torah and the law, those are the same thing, but just different words for it. They're mainly concerned with that, and so with that teaching, and they, they thought, you know, genuinely that they're getting back to 
the heart of what it means to follow God. And so I think at least initially their intentions were good. And I think the same thing about the, the Pharisees. I think the same thing about the Essenes. Obviously they didn't do the right thing, but I think it came from a good, a place of good intentions. So um, yes, they're, they're castigated pretty hard, the Pharisees and Sadducees in the new Testament, but I think we need to realize that their motive wasn't always horrible in their first step to becoming what they were in their questioning of Christ. So uh, in the first five books, you don't have a lot of discussion on the resurrection. And so they came to believe that there wasn't one. And so then they're asking about fulfillment of the law. Like, well, how do we maintain this law? You know, like, are, are you preaching against the law by preaching for the resurrection? So that's kind of their question here. And uh, so that's what we have to remember is Christ in his answer is responding to this prompt, right? He, he is not commenting necessarily on the gender of spiritual beings. He is answering um, the question of, is resurrection contrary to the law? Like, are these things um, opposed? Because the Sadducees, you know, if, if it's against the law, then there can't be resurrection because God wouldn't be against his own law. So Jesus answered them in verse 24, um, about this statement, he says, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. And so this whole passage really intrigues people. Um, you've got insight into the future as a whole and our future state. You've got information on the angelic realm. You've got assurance of hope of the resurrection. And you've got a cool showdown with the Sadducees. Um, I think this passage really just, it has it all. It is very, very interesting. And I think it makes sense why it plays into this whole discussion on uh, the gender of angels. Uh, there are a lot of views on this, this passage. Some say... It shows the angels are genderless and that we will be too uh, when we are, you know, raised from the dead and uh, are, appear like Christ. Some say it just means that marriage isn't practiced by the angels and won't be once we're all married to Christ. So uh, I think both of these have legitimacy, uh, but I don't think, like one thing I don't think you can say is that this passage shows equiv unequivocally that all angels are men. Um, otherwise, especially if this was the common understanding of the first century, when this was being discussed, why would marriage even come into the equation? I think you'd have to read this verse quite a bit differently if you wanted to come to the conclusion that angels are men based on this statement alone, um, or are only men based on this statement alone. It would essentially be like Christ saying, when people, which includes men and women, are raised from the dead, they won't be given in marriage, they won't marry, because at that point, they're all going to be guys. And I think that is very clearly not what is being said here. Um, we have to take this verse and say it either implies that angels are male and female, but don't practice marriage, or angels are not biological and they transcend gender. If the other option is true, that angels are all male, then the comparison to mankind and marriage after death would really make no sense. So if we do insist on operating under this either or scenario where either all angels are men or angels are men and women, um, which I, again, I think is too black and white uh, for some of the information we have. But if we're operating under that assumption that either one of those two things is true, I think this passage gives the most credence to the idea that uh, there are women angels. Now, again, we're forgetting that there's a lot of middle ground in there, like perhaps just the fact that angels are not biological creatures and so don't require biological uh, gender or they, they transcend gender. I do think that this is a possibility, um, and I think a lot of people do ascribe to that, that as well, um, in which case their appearances as men are not a statement about their gender necessarily, but just maybe a practical thing for the function that they meant to serve at that that individual time. So I, I don't think we can take from this statement that all angels are male. So um, I kind of think that that 
at least that stance is out the window. Now we do have other stances that you could look at, but I think the the idea that all angels or spiritual beings take on the male gender is um, really, really a stretch based on based on this verse. And this doesn't mean uh, let's let's say we take the the idea that the angelic world or the spiritual world is transcendent beyond gender. I don't think this means that gender is irrelevant. I want to be very, very clear here, especially in the the landscape we're in right now. Um, God made human beings biological. He made them male and female. Um, Non-binary or transgender movements are not movements forward into a transcendental state, but they're instead they're steps backwards. Um, even if we can go or we will go from human beings with gender to spirit beings with no need of gender, God has very, very clearly outlined the process by which that happens. And so taking it into our own hands and uh, choosing to follow our own path is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Christ says we will be like the angels in heaven, neither marrying or given in marriage. And one might assume this means transcending gender. But again, this is a hypothesis. Um, it might be hypothesis with support, but it is inferring from the text rather than just rather than just seeing what the text says. Absolutely. Now, if you do care to know my personal opinion, um, I do think the spirit world transcends the biological one. But also that when we're spirit beings, we're still going to have differences and, and things that we learned in this world that equip us for various roles within God's kingdom family. So perhaps we might still have traces of what we learned as men or as women that distinguish us. And again, when I say transcend gender, I'm not saying that we elevate to some point that is enlightened and awakened, but more so that our very essence and nature changes to not necessitate the biological anymore. And so it's it's not a, an a, casting an aspersion on the biological or on gender or you know raising up transgenderism as some sort of beautiful and lovely thing. It is just saying that when you are spirit, that is something wholly other than physical. Even though I do think they can interact, I do think God loves the physical. I'm not a Gnostic by any means. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, th I think you get what I'm saying, but I just want to be very clear that I am not um, saying that because one day we might be transcendent above gender that right now we should take that into our hands and be transgender. Transcendent and trans are, that is not the same thing. Um, and then on the question of can God send women angels or at least angels in the appearance of a woman, if, of a woman, if they are in fact transcendent above that. This is something that while we don't have biblical evidence for it occurring, it seems a really hard line to draw when asking what God can do. And so saying, no, God cannot send women angels or uh, angels in the appearance of women, I think that is a, a hard thing to say he cannot do, even if we've not seen him do it. Um, especially considering that angels are spirit beings and they, they do take on many forms when appearing to humans. I'm not sure why an angel appearing in a female form would be beyond the realm of possibility, um, particularly if it were within God's desire to do so. I mean, you have you have so many different kinds of angelic beings appearing in different forms and in different ways. Um, some just incredible and awesome and terrifying and some relatable and familiar. And uh, I just think to say it's beyond God's capability or his desire ever I think is is kind of making a judgment call, even though we might not see it in the, the biblical text. So um, I don't have a lot of support for that biblically. It just seems like not a stance I would personally want to take. Um, if I were to offer any biblical support, I'd say maybe like Hebrews 13 verse 2. Uh, it says, don't forget to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Um, it doesn't make a distinction between their appearance or gender, but it does seem to be saying that you wouldn't know if you saw it right in front of you. Um, and while this doesn't give any insight on actual gender or at least perceived gender of angels or, um, you know, gender as they appear to, to mankind, I do think it shows that God has his angels all over and can disguise them in ways in which we might not perceive. Um, he doesn't say, go ahead and 
uh, mistreat female strangers all you'd like, but be on the lookout for male strangers because they might be angels in disguise. He, he doesn't say that. Um, he simply encourages positive interaction and active consideration and care for those you don't know because they might be messengers from God. So whether they're spirit beings or human beings sent by him for a purpose, this is the kind of thing that is far more important and often gets overlooked when we begin to make generalizing statements about things too complex for us to really know empirically or or get offended at these guessing statements that can't really be proven when others make them. So um, that's really all I wanted to say on that is just, uh, do I think it's possible that God could send angels in the appearance of a woman? Absolutely. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, I, I know there are people that claim to have interactions with angels that are women. And um, I'm not saying that all of those are legitimate interactions with a spiritual entity. I'm not saying they're not either, though. Um, I do believe that God can work in any way he wants to. And I don't believe the biblical text precludes the idea of God uh, sending angels in the appearance of women, even though we don't see it um, acted out in scripture specifically, even with that, when that, with that verse in Zechariah uh, used as support. I just don't think you could say that those are angels emphatically. But again, I also don't think you can say that all angels are masculine. So uh, this is all stuff to take into consideration. Again, I'm sorry I did not offer any answer for you, even though I did offer up my own opinion. Um, but I hope it's been helpful anyway. It's just to realize that this is a complex topic that I think all of us need to be honest about when considering what we know about Scripture, what we know about the spiritual world, and what we're just inferring or implying. And I think we also need to be careful about... Um, what we say and how we say things. Is it something based off of our interpretation or our inference? Or is it something based off of concrete, this is what the Bible states about this thing? Um, again, not that it's bad to try and reason things out or make educated guesses on things. Um, but I think really the most important things are not things we have to guess on. Like be kind to strangers because you might have entertained angels. Well, whether those angels are men and women really in the grand scheme is so unimportant but whether we were kind to strangers is so important and so let's uh let's not make sure this this hot topic kind of mentality rises to the top of our discussion um it's interesting and it's fun and it's it's cool to consider um and i've let you know what i think the bible says on the topic but really it's some of these heavier things that we don't want to just let uh settle and then not get talked about. So that's all I have for you. I hope you found this interesting. Sorry it went so long. I know so many people have a hard time with longer podcasts, but sometimes I just get going and I never know. You know, I write out, write out notes and sometimes it could be a page long and then I end up going for an hour. Sometimes it could be 15 pages long and it ends up taking me 20 minutes. It just depends on how it goes um, as I'm talking. So hope you stuck with me this far. For those of you that have, I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. Um, until next time, as always, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thanks, everybody.